man who is pure of heart and says his prayers at night can turn into a wolf when the wolf bane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. Thank you for listening to Behind the Leaves. I'm your host, Joe. A few updates before we get into our episode on lycanthropy. I have been sick for the last several months, and I appreciate the patience of my listeners in giving me time to recuperate. I know this episode was supposed to be given to you in October as part of my folklore and scary stories for Halloween. However, it was right around that time that I became very ill and I have been recuperating since. And while I'm still on the mend, I didn't want to wait too long before I gave somebody a chance to listen to the original podcast that I had laid out during that time. So, um, I want to give some special thanks to you, my listeners, for your patience, for your kindness, and for your loyalty. And coming back to the show after such a long hiatus, and for being um, you. So, as a further update, our next couple of shows are in the works. I am in the process of speaking to a practitioner of hoodoo and santeria, um, who will hopefully be able to come on the show and discuss some of the cultural and spiritual practices of uh, those faiths. Um, my own grandmother having been a manbo um, is something that um, is close to my heart and I like to, to share culture. And this is a culture that I don't think very many people know much about. So I thought I'd bring an expert in on the subject and we can talk to them. That should be um, coming up soon. We'll also have a uh, anthropologist and theologian on to discuss um, some of the more curious and, and occult-like things of the Bible and the mysteries of Kabbalah. Um, so those are all, all in the works, but today's episode is on werewolves, lycanthropes. And that famous quote that I started the show with is from the Lon Chaney Jr. movie, The Wolfman, one of Universal's classic monster films, and admittedly one of my favorites growing up. While the, the story of The Wolfman and, and David Talbot is very popular in modern fiction, uh, including uh, you know, a remake in the early 2000s, I, I want to delve a little bit deeper. In fact, we're going back about 1,500 years to one of the first myths revolving a werewolf and its ancient Greek. Now, let's kind of figure out what a, a werewolf is by definition. In folklore, a werewolf or man-wolf, occasionally lycanthrope, from the Greek word lukanthropos or wolf person, has the ability to shapeshift into a wolf, either on purpose or after being cursed, or with an affliction, often after a bite or scratch from another werewolf. These cases often experience transformation on the nights of a full moon. Some of the earliest sources for the belief in lycanthropy 
are the the Greek historian Petronius and uh, Gervais of Tilbury. Um, Petronius was al uh, alive and, and actively writing at 27 to 66 AD, and Gervais, uh, Gervais the, the of Tilbury from 1150 to 1223. Now, folklore is widespread in most of European cultures through many variants uh, developed and contributed by Christian interpretation, mainly during the medieval period, based on underlying cultural folklore and seems to have developed um, its own superstitions uh, and is often linked to witches. Like the witch trials, werewolves were put on trial, emerging in modern-day um, Switzerland as early as the 1400s and spread through all of Europe throughout the 1500s to the late 1700s. In early werewolf trials, accusations of lycanthropy were mixed with those of charming wolves, or even riding them, and were seen as extensions on witchcraft. One notable and even infamous case of Peter Strupp in 1589 led to mass hysteria in the French and Germanic-speaking countries of Europe. This persisted the longest in Bavaria and Austria, leading to the prevailing Bavarian Austrian villagers and monster stories, even in those that don't actually take place in the region. Werewolf trials ended around the time witch trials died out and became studied in folklore in earnest and became explored in the emerging Gothic literature of the time in such works as Bisclavert and Guillaume del Palmer's in such the trappings of our literature in the uh, genre became apocrypha and archetypes for the 20th century embedding in popular culture. Now, the werewolf folklore has its origins, as I mentioned, traced back to Proto-Indo-European mythology, where lycanthropy is acted out as an aspect of the initiation of warrior castes. Now, this is especially reflected in the Iron Age Europe and the uh, Tukrigan depictions from the Germanic Old Norse regions, uh, amongst others. These, these rites were worshipping animal spirits and donning furs and pelts to invoke pagan gods and powerful drugs um, from herbs and different types of mushrooms uh, used to cause trances and ferocity, and they were seen as the works of Satan and devil worshippers by Christians as Christianity began to take hold. Um, the, these people were you know, inviting demonic possession. Ancient Greece has a few references dating back to the early 2nd century BC. The Greek uh, geographer uh, related the story of King uh, Lycan of Arcadia, who, doubting in the powers of the gods, was paid a visit by Zeus in disguise as an old man. Lycan greeted the man and invited him to dinner, where the main course was his own roasted child. Zeus, so disgusted at this insult that a child would be sacrificed at his altar and then fed to him, cursed King Lycan to be an animal befitting his crimes. He thus became a wolf. There are many such stories, particularly in Arcadia, where men were chosen at random to be a yearly prostrate. They would have to swim in a marsh naked and come out on the other side as a wolf. When in wolf form, they would have to serve a nine-year sentence in which if they did not eat human flesh, they would be allowed to swim across the same marsh and return human. If, however, they did eat man flesh, they would remain a wolf forever. 
Early Christian authors also mentioned werewolves in the city of God. Augustine of Hippo gives uh, an account similar to pre-Christian works by uh, Pilmi the Elder. Augustine says, It is very generally believed that by certain witches' spells, men may be turned into wolves. Physical metamorphosis was also mentioned in the Capitulum Escapati, uh, attributed by the Council of Archeia in the 4th century, which became the Church's doctoral text on magic, witches, and transformations of men into animals. In these works, Roman writers often call werewolves uh, the given name of versipellus, or turnskin. Augustine instead used in lupum fursis mutatum, meaning change form into wolf. Medieval times saw widespread beliefs in werewolves, so much so that it covered the entire continent, including the British Isles, and even official laws were written about it. Lichebrand of uh, Cremona reported that uh, Bajan, the son of the sitting king of uh, Bulgaria, uh, Simon I, could work magic and turn into a wolf himself. King Sinig, who died in 1035, was the king of Denmark, England, and Norway, also known as the North Sea Empire. And he wrote the Ecclesiastical Ordinances, which tells us laws against werewolves were to ensure that the madly audacious werewolf do not do too widely devastate nor bite too many of the spiritual flock. In fact, there are many such wolf form, uh, various theological authors, most of which were influenced heavily by Augustine of Hippos. Marc de Fon's poem Bisclavet, written circa 1200, tells of a nobleman who had caused uh, that he must disrobe every week uh, and been cursed to do so to become a wolf for one night. His disdainful and disloyal wife steals his clothes, which stopped him from returning into a man. He had to survive a wolf hunt, and the nobleman confronted then the king to explain and is spared by the king. However, the king commands that his wife and her new husband come to court, and he allows Bisclavert to kill them, and it was seen as justified homicide, and he remained a faithful servant to his king for the rest of his life. This follows many myths and recounting during the era, the removal of clothing, attempting to refrain from human flesh, can be found back to ancient Greece. Again, the nine-year prostrates could not eat human flesh. If they did, they were cursed to be a wolf forever. And the removing of clothing being, you know, shedding your skin you know, to, to remove that which makes you human and to become the beast. The 9th century Welsh monk Nemes tells of werewolves in England and Wales. Female werewolves appeared in tales of the elders from the 12th century in Ireland. Again, in the 12th and 13th century works, uh, Malbingium. Now, these weren't just wolves, though. These were women who could turn into snakes or even cats. And this is part of a wider spread of what lycanthropy is. The word lycanthropy means werewolf, right? It means wolf, lichen, wolf. But in almost every major culture on earth, there have been some variation of men and women who can turn into beasts. This is seen in India with were tigers, Russia with were bears, Africa with were hyenas and were lions, South America and China both have were jaguars and were leopards 
And even in Native American traditions, we have shaman who were skinwalkers. They could shed their skin and turn into a beast or a monster. We have Wendigo, a man who is, you know, becomes a cannibal and a fierce spirit takes over his, his body and his soul and turns him into a beast. We have um, you know, this, this underlying human experience that people turning into beasts of the wild is a common concept. Germanic pagan traditions also have wolfmen, which persisted the longest in Scandinavian Viking Age. Harold I of Norway is known to have had a body of warriors called the Ulfherden, sorry, Ulfhedronar, wolf-coated men, which are mentioned in the Volsunga saga and resemble many werewolf legends. Ulfherdar were fighters, similar to berserkers, though they dressed in nothing but wolf hides, rather than bear hides, which is what berserkers wore. Again, were bears, were wolves. They would be resistant to pain, cold, and they killed viciously in battle, much like wild animals. They were worshippers of Odin, and representative of Fenyr, the great wolf that will swallow the moon and Odin during Ragnarok and break his chains. And it's that wolf spirit, they believe, they imbibed when they took herbs and mushrooms and psychedelics and would drink them with mead, which is a wine made out of honey and it would numb them to the point that a naked man wearing nothing but a wolfskin cloak and carrying swords and axes and shields would go through entire groups of people before they died because they couldn't feel it they couldn't feel the stabs, they couldn't feel the cuts, they just kept fighting. And they were so feared that when they were brought out to battle, other kingdoms and nations and tribes would either be killed off or submit. Meanwhile, the Germanic werewolf became linked to witches in England France, Scandinavia, and Germany, where in the Slavic version, they became linked to revenants and vampires, and in Central and Eastern Europe, including Hungary, Romania, and the Balkans, this was the case, where they believed that the werewolf was immortal, that it, it could not die. There, there was nothing to be done. The concept of the silver bullet is relatively new, and modern depictions of werewolves all stem from the the end of the werewolf trials and the start of actually studying the folklore. Now, common Turk folklore holds different uh, reverential light to werewolf legends, and the Turkic Central Asian shamans are performing long and arduous rites, would voluntarily be able to transform into the humanoid Turkadam, literally meaning wolfman. Since the wolf was the Tomic ancestor animal of the Turkic people, they would be respectful of any shaman who was turned into this werewolf-type creature. Most cultures believed that they turned into a literal wolf. This is one of the few 
instances where they are not turning into a literal wolf, but rather they're taking on a half-man, half-wolf appearance. Werewolves were common accusations in the witch trials throughout their history, and it featured even in the Valais witch trials, one of the earliest such trials altogether, and the first half of the 15th century. Likewise, in the Vaud, child-eating werewolves were reported as early as 1448. A peak of attention to lycanthropy came in the late 16th to early 17th century, as part of the European witch trials, so the 1500s to the 1600s. A number of treaties on werewolves were written in France during 1595 and 1615. Werewolves were cited in 1598 in Anjou, and a teenage werewolf was sentenced to life imprisonment in Bordeaux in 1603. Henry Bogut wrote a lengthy chapter on werewolves in 1602. In the Vaud, werewolves were convicted in 1602 and 1624. A treatise by a Vaud pastor in 1653, however, argued that lycanthropy was purely an illusion. After this, the only further record from the Vaud dates to 1670, and it is of a boy who claimed that his mother and he could turn themselves into wolves, which was, of course, however, not taken very seriously. In the beginning of the 17th century, witchcraft was persecuted extremely harshly by James I of England, who even went on to write an entire book called Demonography. Um, and it, it is his um, study of demons and spirits and witches. But James I of England and sixth of Scotland who regarded warwolves, spelled W-A-R-W-O-O-L-F-E-S, as victims of delusion induced by a natural superabundance of melancholic, that, that, that humor that they believed um, you know, filled the body. It's what we would call depression today. After 1650, belief in lycanthropy had mostly disappeared from the French-speaking Europe, as evidence in Detroit's Encyclopedia, which attributes reports of lycanthropy to a disorder of the brain, although uh, there were continuing reports of extraordinarily wolf-like beasts, but not werewolves. One such report concerned the beast of Givaudon, which terrorized the general area and the form of Providence, of Givaudon, now called Lozari, in south-central France from the years of 1764 to 1767. It killed upwards of 80 men, women, and children. That part of Europe, which showed more vigorous interest in werewolves after 1650, was the Holy Roman Emperor. The last nine works on lycanthropy were printed in Germany between 1649 and 1679. In the Austrian and Bavarian Alps, belief in werewolves persisted well into the 18th century. In any case, as late as 1853 in Galicia, northwestern Spain, Manuel Blanco Romastara was judged and condemned as the author of a number of murders and his defense was that he could not be guilty because of his condition of lobus homi, being a werewolf. Until the 20th century, wolf attacks on humans were uh, an occasional but still widespread feature of life in Europe. Some scholars have suggested that it was inevitable that wolves, being the most feared predators in Europe, were projected into the folklore as evil shapeshifters. This is said to be corroborated by the fact that areas devoid of wolves typically use different kinds of predators to fill the niche. Where hyenas in Africa, where tigers in India, as well as where pumas, um, and where jaguars in South America. Now, an idea is explored in Sabine Baring Gould's work, The Book of Werewolves, is that werewolf legends may have been used to explain serial colors. Perhaps the most infamous example was that case of Peter Stump, who was executed in 1589. The German farmer and alleged serial killer and cannibal was also known as the Werewolf of Bedbark. 
Now, again, as I mentioned, lycanthropy is a medical condition, or rather, it's believed to be. There is a mental health condition called lycanthropy in which somebody believes that they are actively a werewolf and is sometimes given to people who are schizophrenic or psychotic, but it is, in fact, its own mental disorder. Some modern researchers have tried to explain the reports of werewolf behavior with recognized medical conditions. One Dr. Lee Illis of Guy's Hospital in London wrote a paper in 1963 entitled On Porphyria and the Etiology of Werewolves, in which he argues that historical accounts of werewolves could have, in fact, been referring to people of congenital porphyria, stating how the symptoms of photosensitivity, reddish teeth, and psychosis could have been grounds for accusing a sufferer of being a werewolf. Again, for those who have listened to my podcast on vampires, will recognize that porphyria is known as the vampire sickness. And the reason for that is people who suffer from porphyria can get extreme burns from sunlight. In as little as a few minutes, you can have blisters that are extraordinarily painful on any exposed skin. Your gum lines recede and bleed, and iron is, is you know, sapped into the teeth, which can make them have a reddish-brown appearance. And you oftentimes have uh, portions of coarse hair that can grow over your body. Now, this argument for this being you know, the werewolf conundrum it was argued by Woodward, who points out how mythological werewolves were almost invariably portrayed as resembling true wolves, and that their human forms were rarely physically conspicuous as porphyria victims. Meaning that, yes, this might be where vampires came from, because vampires were supposed to be, you know, these diseased, dead-looking creatures. Was it until... Bram Stoker came around that um, vampires took on a more romantic role um, such as in Camilla which was about 20 years before um, Dracula uh, and one of the first lesbian works of literature uh, that we have surviving today but the werewolf question itself has also been pointed to the possibility of sufferers of hypertrichosis, a hereditary condition manifesting itself with excessive hair growth. There were Spanish royals who had this condition. And, in fact, one was even forced to marry a dwarf uh, by the French king. And... Uh, most of their children had the conundrum today. It's a very rare medical condition. And you can still find people who have it today. And they look very similar to Lon Chaney's Wolfman. Uh, in almost all regards. The thick, curly hair that covers everything on their, their face. Um, their nose, their their mouths, their, their cheeks. Um, all you see is ears and eyes, and even the ears can be hairy at the ends. Now, because it is a hereditary condition, we know the families that have this, and they do still exist today. They're, they are, they're still families that have this genetic condition, so I do encourage you to look up hypertrichosis uh, to see, you know, what this looks like. Most of you will have, you know, seen a picture. Um, there's even famous portraits of them back in the Elizabethan times um, of, of these curious individuals who were treated like servants or pets for the royals and their, their grotesquerie and their menageries. 
However, Dr. Woodward dismissed the possibility as the rarity of the disease ruled it out from happening on the large scale that the, num the sheer number of werewolf accusations appeared in medieval Europe. Because it's so rare that only you know, a few families in the world suffered this trait, it just it didn't line up that this would be something that would be happening across all of Europe at the same time. There are others that were suggesting that Down syndrome may have been at play, uh, that people who have Down syndrome were sometimes um, the originators of werewolf myths. Um, Dr. Woodward also suggested rabies as an origin of werewolf beliefs, claiming remarkable similarities between the symptoms of that disease and some of the legends Woodward focused on were those that required being bitten by a werewolf could result in someone turning into one, which suggested that the idea of lycanthropy was a disease that was transmittable, like rabies, which can make a man or woman go mad, froth the mouth, um, and have spasms in the body that are not dissimilar from the way werewolf transformations are often depicted today. Now, the idea that lycanthropy could be transmitted this way is not part of the original myths and legends. It only appears in relatively recent beliefs. So the idea that rabies being the ancient you know, concept of a werewolf doesn't make much sense because it wasn't necessary in antiquity that you be bit. You could just be cursed by the gods. Now, lycanthropy can also be met as the main content of a delusion. For example, the case of a woman has been reported who, during episodes of acute psychosis, complained of being four different species of animals that she could turn into. Now, the beliefs classed together under lycanthropy are far from uniform. The term is somewhat capriciously applied. The transformation may be temporary or permanent, as we've discussed. The were-animal may be the man himself metamorphosized, Maybe his double who actively leaves the real man to all appearances unchanged. It could be his soul, which goes forth seeking whomever it may devour, leaving its body in a state of trance. Or it may be no more than the messenger of the human being, a real animal or familiar spirit, whose intimate connection with its owner is shown by the fact that any injury to the animal is suffered by the human. By a phenomenon known as repercussion, um, it causes that corresponding injury to happen to the, the charmer of the wolf or animal in question. Werewolves were said in European folklore to bear telltale physical traits even in their human form. These included the meeting of both eyebrows, or a unibrow, at the bridge of the nose, curved fingernails, low-set ears, and a swinging stride that would kind of represent the way a dog shakes its tail. One method of identifying a werewolf in its human form was to cut the flesh of the accused, under the pretense that fur would be seen within the wound. A Russian superstition recalls a werewolf can be recognized by bristles under its tongue. The appearance of a werewolf in its animal form varies from culture to culture, though most commonly portrayed as being indistinguishable from any ordinary wolf, save for the fact that it has no tail, a trait thought characteristic of witches in animal form. It's often larger and remains human eyes and may even have a voice. Remember that wolf that spoke to the king to say, my wife did this to me. She took my clothes, and I can't become a human until I have them back, and the king lets him eat her. Now, the next part is interesting, because according to some Swedish accounts, 
the werewolf could be uh, distinguished from the regular wolf by the fact that it would run on three legs, stretching the fourth one backwards to look like a tail. After returning to their human forms, werewolves are usually documented as becoming weak, debilitated, and undergoing painful nervous depression. One universally reviled trait in medieval Europe was the werewolf's habit of devouring the recently buried corpses, a trait that is documented extensively, particularly in the Annals Medico-Psychologiques in the 19th century. The 19th century, that's the 1800s, are, you know, that they're, they're still saying, no, no, this, this person digs up granny to eat her heart. And you know, becoming a werewolf has its own different beliefs throughout the world. So various methods for becoming the werewolf are simple as being the removal of clothing and putting on a belt made of wolf skin. Probably a substitute for the assumption of an entire animal skin, which was also frequently described in ancient contexts. Remember the warriors of the the Nordic king who wore wolfskin cloaks. And then drinking water out of the footprint of the animal in question, um, or from certain enchanted streams, were also considered effectual modes of accomplishing the metamorphosis. The 16th century Swedish writer Olas Magnus says that uh, Livonian werewolves were initiated by draining a cup of specially prepared beer and repeating a set formula. Ralston, and his Songs of the Russian People, gives the form of incantation similar um, and still familiar in Russia. In Italy, France, and Germany, it was said that a man or woman could turn into a werewolf if he or she, on a certain Wednesday or Friday, slept outside on a summer's night with the full moon shining directly on his or her face. So, even the homeless were the werewolves. In other cases, the transformation was supposedly accomplished by satanic alliance, the most loathful ends, often for the sake of stating a craving for human flesh. The werewolves, uh, writes Richard Vergestan uh, in the Restitution of Decayed Intelligence in 1628, are certain sorcerers who, having anointed their bodies with an ointment which they make by the instinct of the devil, and putting on a certain enchanted girdle, does not only unto the view of others seem as a wolf, but to their own thinking both shape and nature of the wolves, so long as they wear that said girdle, and they do dispose themselves as very wolves and worrying and killing most of human creatures. The phenomenon of uh, repercussion, the power of that animal metamorphosis or of sending out a familiar, real or spiritual messenger, uh, and the supernatural powers conferred by association with that familiar are attributed to the magician, the male and female, all over the world, and which superstitions are closely parallel to, if not identical, with the lycanthropic beliefs. Occasionally, involuntary characters of lycanthropy being almost the sole distinguishing feature. In other direction, the phenomenon of repercussion is asserted to manifest itself in connection with the bush soul of the West African and the Nagul of Central America. But though there is no line of demarcation to be drawn on logical grounds, the assumption of that power of the magician and the intimate association of the bush soul uh, with that human being are n not technically termed lycanthropy, even though they themselves believe they have inhabited the body of their uh, nagul, their, their, their spiritual animal the jaguar, or even the wolf, uh, or leopard. Now, 
The curse of lycanthropy was also considered by some scholars, uh, scholars as a divine punishment. Remember, Zeus cursed Lycus, uh, and you know it was because he would dare eat human flesh. He would, he would dare serve his, you know, his god, uh, a child that was sacrificed on his altar when he was the father of all and the host of hosts. And that that seems to be a, a trait that a lot of the werewolf mythology has is that consuming human flesh makes you the wolf. Um, the power of transforming into wild beasts was attributed not only to malignant sorcerers, but also to Christian saints. Uh, Ominis Angeli Bani et Mali ex verite naturale habante potestatum transmudante corporea nostra. All angels, good and bad, have the power of transmuting our bodies. And it was the dictum of St. Thomas Aquinas. St. Patrick was has, uh, said to have transformed the Welsh king uh, Veretitus into a wolf. Natalus supposedly cursed an uh, illustrious Irish family whose members were each doomed to be a wolf for seven years. In other tales, the divine agency of God is even more direct. In Russia, men supposedly became werewolves when incurring the wrath of the devil. A notable exception to the association of lycanthropy and the devil comes from a rare and lesser-known account of an 80-year-old man named Theus. In 1692, in Jürgensburg, Livonia, Thesis testified under oath that he and other werewolves were the hounds of God. He claimed they were warriors who went down into hell to do battle with witches and demons. Their efforts ensured that the devil and his minions did not carry off the grain from local failed crops down to hell. Theus was steadfast in his assertions, claiming that werewolves in Germany and Russia also did battle the devil minions and their own versions of hell, and insisted that when werewolves died, their souls were welcome into heaven as a reward for their service. Sadly, Theseus was ultimately sentenced to ten lashes for idolatry and superstitious belief. Various methods have existed for removing the werewolf form. In antiquity, the ancient Greeks and Romans believed the power of exhaustion in curing people of lycanthropy. The victim would be subjected to long periods of physical activity in the hope of being purged of the malady. This practice stemmed from the fact that many alleged werewolves would be left feeling weak and debilitated after committing their vile acts. In medieval Europe, though, Traditionally, there are three methods that one can use to cure the victim of lycanthropy. Medicinally, usually via the use of wolfsbane, surgically, or exorcism. However, many of these cures advocated by medieval medical practitioners proved fatal to the patients. A Sicilian belief of Arabic origin holds that a werewolf can be cured of its ailment by striking it on the forehead or scalp with a knife. Another belief from the same culture involves the piercing of the werewolf's hands with nails. Sometimes less extreme methods were used. In German Lowland and Schleswig-Holstein, a werewolf could be cured if one were to simply address it three times by its Christian name. A Danish belief holds that merely scolding a werewolf will cure it. Conversion to Christianity is also a common method for removing lycanthropy in the medieval period when the church was trying to get rid of the old pagan beliefs. A devotion to St. Hubert has also been cited as both the cure and protection from becoming a werewolf. Now, before the end of the 19th century, the Greeks believed that corpses of werewolves, if not destroyed, would return to life in the forms of wolves or hyenas, which prowled battlefields, drinking the blood of dying soldiers. In the same sense, in some rural areas of Germany, Poland, and northern France, it was once believed that people who died in mortal sin came back to life as blood-drinking wolves. These undead werewolves would return to their human corpse from at daylight, 
They were dealt with by decapitation with a spade and exorcism by the parish priest. The head would then be thrown into a stream, where the weight of its sins was thought to weigh it down. Sometimes the same methods was used to dispose of ordinary vampires as well. The vampire was linked to the werewolf in East European countries, again particularly Bulgaria and Serbia, Slovenia. In Serbia, the werewolf and vampires are known collectively as the Volkoldalak. Now, Hungarian folklore, werewolves used to live specifically in the region of Transdanubia, and it was thought that the ability to change into a wolf was obtained in the infant age after suffering abuse by the parents or by being cursed. At the age of seven, the boy or girl leaves the house, goes hunting by night, and can change to a person or wolf whenever he or she wants. The curse can also be obtained when in adulthood the person passed three times through the arch made of birch will uh, will help of a, a wild rose's spine. The werewolves were known to exterminate all kinds of farm animals, but especially sheep. The transformation usually occurred during the winter solstice and Easter under a full moon. Late in the 17th and early 18th century, the trials in Hungary were only were conducted against witches, but werewolves too. And many record uh, records exist, creating connections between both kinds of people. The vampires and werewolves were closely related in Hungary, being both feared throughout antiquity. Among the South Slavs and among the uh, Kashubs of uh, now northern Poland, there was the belief that if a child was born with hair, a birthmark or a call, where the placenta or part of the placenta covers the face or eyes, on their head, um, uh, they were supposed to possess that shape-shifting ability. Uh, and though capable of turning into any animal they wished, it was commonly believed that these people preferred to turn into a wolf. Serbian Voldolaks uh, traditionally had the habit of congregating annually in the winter months. When they would strip off their wolf skins and hang them from trees, they would then get hold of another Voldolak skin and burn it, releasing it from its curse and the Voldolak from whom the skin came. This is important because this references two things. It references the skin that would be worn by the, the Germanic peoples to become the wolf with their potions and and poisons. But it also references the idea of having to put clothes on to come back from being the wolf. So in this sense, it's instead of burning the clothes so that the individual can never become human, you're burning the wolf skin so that they can never become a wolf again. And it was thought to be the only cure that they had amongst themselves. According to Armenian lore, there are women who, in consequence of deadly sins, are condemned to spend seven years in the wolf form. A typical account, a condemned woman is visited by a wolf-skin-toting spirit who orders her to wear the skin, which causes her to acquire frightful cravings for human flesh soon after. Her better nature, though, must overcome. The she-wolf devours each of her own children, then her relatives' children, in order of relationship, and finally, the children of strangers. She wanders only at night, with doors and locks springing open at her approach. When morning arrives... She reverts to her human form and removes her wolf skin. The transformation is generally said to be involuntary, but there are alternate versions involving how the metaphor, uh, metamorphosis took place, where women can transform at will. The Nascapis of uh, believed in the Kerobo uh, afterlife is guarded by giant wolves, which kill careless hunters venturing too near. The Navajo people feared witches and wolves' clothings called Maikop. Woodward thought these beliefs were due to the Norse colonization of the Americans when European colonization 
of the Americans occurred, the pioneers brought their own werewolf folklore with them and were later influenced by the lore of their neighboring colonies and those of the natives. Being in the Lupgaru present in Canada and the upper and lower peninsulas of Michigan, those are our dogmen, which in Michigan there is many accounts of strange wolf bear like creatures that look like a man and a beast together and they've been sighted since the early 17 and 1800s and those still persist today upstate new york uh, also has these same myths and they originate from French folklore influenced by the Native American stories on the Wendigo. Now, the Wendigo is a, a spirit that inhabits a cannibal. If a man were to eat the flesh of another, he would be consumed by this evil spirit that was beast-like and kill mercilessly until he eventually became the beast himself. And there is even a famous Canadian trial where a man ate his wife and three children over a harsh winter. And when he was found, he claimed that he had been possessed by the Wendigo. In Mexico, there is the belief of a creature called the Nagula. In Haiti, there's the superstition that wolf spirits known locally as Jarouge, red eyes, can possess the bodies of unwitting persons and nightly transform them into a cannibalistic, lupine creature. The Haitian Jarouge typically try to trick a mother into giving away her child voluntarily by waking them at night and asking for their permission to take the child, to which the disoriented mother may reply yes or no. The Haitian Jarouz differs from traditional European werewolves by their habits of actively trying to spread the lycanthropic condition to others, much like vampires try to turn others into their harem. Now, most modern fiction describes werewolves as vulnerable to silver weapons and highly resistant to other injuries. This feature appears in German folklore in the 19th century, and the claim that the beast of Gavaudon an 18th century wolf creature was shot by a silver bullet appears to have been introduced by novelists retelling the story in 1935 onwards, but not in earlier versions. English folklore prior to 1865 showed shapeshifters being vulnerable to silver. Till the publican shot a silver bullet over their heads where they were instantly transformed into two ill-favored old ladies, which was written in 1640 in the city of Giftsfold, Germany, uh, which was at the time infested by werewolves. A clever lad suggested that they gather all their silver buttons, goblets, belt buckles, and so forth, and melt them down into bullets for their muskets and pistols. This time, they slaughtered the creatures to get rid of them, uh, and to rid Giftsfold of all the lycanthropes. The 1897 novel Dracula, the story of Dracula's guest, uh, both of which were written by Bram Stoker, drew on those earlier mythologies of werewolves, similar legendary demons, uh, and was to voice the anxieties of an age and the fears of the late Victorian patriarchy. In Dracula's guest, a band of military horsemen coming to the aid of the protagonist chase off Dracula, depicted as a great large white wolf stating only way to kill is by a sacred bullet. This is also mentioned in the main novel as Dracula as well. Count Draculia stated in his novel that legends of werewolves originated from his uh, Skakeli racial bloodline, who himself is also depicted as having that ability to shapeshift into a wolf or bat at will during the night, but is unable to do so during the day except at high noon. The 1928 novel The Wolf's Bride, a tale from Estonia, written by the Finnish author Anjo Kallas, tells the story of the forester Predik's wife Alo living in Himua in the 17th century. 
he became a werewolf under the influence of malvoyant forest spirits, known as Diablos Silvarium. This first feature film to use anthropomorphic werewolf was The Werewolf of London in 1935. The main werewolf of this film is a dapper London scientist who manages to maintain some of his human features after his transformation. The lead actor, Henry Hall, was unwilling to spend long hours being made up in the, by the makeup artist, makeup artist Jack Pierce. Now, Universal Studios drew on a Balkan tale of a plant associated with lycanthropy, Wolfsbane, as there was no literary work to draw upon, unlike the case with vampires. This is where even a man who is pure of heart and says his prayers at night can turn into a wolf when the wolfbane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. And because wolfsbane was thought to be one of the cures of lycanthropy, um, and also a cause of it at the same time, depending on the certain myths, um, it is that which um, made that, that quote as part of the werewolf mythology that we still use today from Universal Studios monster movies in the 1930s. Um, now, more tragic character, Lawrence Talbot, as, as I mentioned, Lon Chaney Jr., uh, 1941's The Wolfman, um, he was willing to put on a lot more makeup, um, especially with his, his father, Lon Chaney Sr., being the man of a thousand faces. Uh, he had learned much of his father's makeup techniques and even did his own makeup um, to make that iconic Wolfman look. And that was the first time that we see a transformation. You know, the hands turn furry, his face turns furry. But it wasn't really until the 1980s with an American werewolf in London uh, where David Naughton is, is seen as a sympathetic werewolf and that he's tortured by it. And it shows that great body horror of the wolf breaking through the human skin and and then having to eat that skin and and go out um and then of course there's jack nicholson in one of my favorite movies wolf which was made in 1994 where slowly over time he became more and more wolf-like as the movie progressed until he was finally the full-fledged wolf and a leader of the pack. Now, over time, that depiction of werewolves has gone from fully malvoyant to even heroic. You have Underworld and Twilight, as well as Bloodlad and Dance and the Vampire Bund, Rosario and the Vampire, and various other movies, anime, manga, comic books. These werewolves are more willful and malvoyant. Um, and like the howling, uh, howling and the curse um, and all the, you know, the subsequent sequels to that. Or you have the uh, you know, Native American, you know, we protect the land werewolves of Twilight. Um, and then you see the way werewolves change in, in feature, where in American Werewolf in London, for instance, they're the full-fledged wolf face, whereas in Underworld, they're stunted snouts and snarls, and they don't really have much of a, a wolf look to them other than they have large teeth and big ears and can walk on hind legs or crawl on all fours and covered in hair but current day werewolf fiction almost exclusively involves lycanthropy being either a hereditary condition or being transmitted as an infectious disease by the bite of another werewolf in some fiction the power of the werewolf extends to human forms such as invulnerability 
to conventional injury due to their healing factor, superhuman speed, strength, and falling on their feet from high falls. One of my favorite movies as a child, Monster Mash, uh, will have a line that I will never forget. Wolfman's got nards. And it depicts the 